pack your bags and get the fuck out of here. Your reign is over. The people have spoken. Before we do anything today, I just want to let you know that if you're listening on Monday, November 9th, tonight at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, Fruk, Fruk, wow, I was doing so well, Freak Boutique, number 43, that's a, li- it's a live streaming modular performance uh, show put on by WMD. Man, they kill it down in Colorado. Between WMD and, uh, and the Colorado Modular Synth Society, they just really kill it. Uh, that is at youtube.com forward slash W-M-D-E-V-I-C-E-S. I'll put a link in the show description. I also want to tell you, I was interviewed recently on the Tuna Fat podcast, which is a really awesome podcast. It's like interview. It's not just uh, about uh, synths. It's, uh, it's just really about uh, life in general. But uh, if you want to get to know me more personally, I guess uh, that's a good place to start. Um, the host, Squid, is... Uh, a really really great interviewer and i had a really great time uh doing it so thank you for having me on there squid squidzy um yeah so uh, go check it out so before we get into this episode i just want to uh let everybody know that there's a new modular company in town they're called new systems instruments and they just released something called the harmonic shift oscillator which you hear below me right now and what you hear below me is just two separate passes uh some stereo recordings um one of which i'm using a couple sine wave lfos to control the harmonic shift oscillator and the other i'm actually playing manually um I don't fully understand what's happening yet. All I know is it's really cool and it's been a lot of fun. Um, so rather than uh, you know wait until next week to get into a demo, which I'm going to do, um, I figured I'd l- at least give them a shout out and play this for you because I just think it was uh, yeah, it just sounds so cool and it was so much fun to make. So this isn't technically a demo. This is just a hey, everybody. Heads up, there's a new modular company out there called New Systems Instruments. Uh, Check out their harmonic shift oscillator. Uh, There's a link in the show description. This episode is also brought to you by Patchworks, our lovely local synth shop here at Seattle. Please visit them at patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. And, of course, Needham Woodworks, the finest Eurorack cases in the land. Please visit Needham Woodworks to learn more about these. They're really pieces of art. They're like art, furniture... Um, Eurorack cases. Like, I don't know how else to describe them. Needhamwoodworks.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held, and I am so, so excited to uh, finally have Marcus Fisher on the show. Um, we have an excellent conversation. We get we get real, we get deep, um, and we just talk about just just a, a we cover the tip of the iceberg basically of Marcus's work. If you're familiar with Marcus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but if not, buckle up. This is a great ride. Super talented. I feel like he's just one of the most um, interesting artists out there. Um, visual art just experimental tape loop stuff guitar stuff i don't know he's one of my personal favorites and just couldn't be a sweeter person so i'm I'm really really excited to bring you this episode so pretty crazy weird world we live in right 
And no, I'm not talking about the political hellscape that is the United States. I am talking about this patch that I made with my Benjolin V2 from After Later Audio. This is Rob Hordyke's latest revision of the classic Benjolin. The core of the Benjolin continues to be two oscillators, the Rungler, which is a stepped CV generator, and a multi-mode filter. The latest revision adds reworked oscillator and filter sections. All levels are adjusted to Eurorack standards. There are two different step modes. There's double and single clock rate. It's externally clockable. There's an external filter input with a blend control, which I find really, really fun. And it supports the Turing machine expanders with Tom Whitwell's permission. So we got Rob Hordyke and Tom Whitwell on board with this, just like, it's, it's gotta be the best version of a Benjolin that's existed. These new revisions are so cool. And the fact that you can use these expanders, I mean, if you're into random, forget about it. So yeah, I'm just so excited to, to finally be able to share this with you. This project has been in the in the workings. Can projects be in workings? Is that how you say it? It's been in the works? It's been in the works for a while. Um, and yeah, I, I got it a week and a half ago and I, I, I couldn't tell anybody, but I've been playing with it constantly. Um, and it's actually, it fits really nicely into my little, uh, my, uh, my my battery-powered travel synth. So hopefully this week, maybe even by the time you listen to this, depending on how motivated I get this weekend, uh, there will be a video, um, another performance somewhere out in the wilds of Washington um, with, uh, with, a, with a patch that'll sound similar to this, but hopefully a little better because I will have wrapped my head around it. Anyways, go check out the Benjolin V2 from After Later Audio. So last night, something pretty cool happened. Um, we did one of our uh, the first album club meetings. Uh, I mentioned that on last week's episode, but if you're not familiar, it's something that uh, I'm starting to do with uh, my Discord community. Um, I have a music rec- recommendations channel, and I'm going to have people just put their music on there, you know, say, hey, I just made this, check it out. Um, and I'm going to take all of those submissions and putting them in, put them into an Excel spreadsheet and randomly, gen, you know, randomly select one, uh, one or two a month for us to uh, get into a Zoom chat and and talk about and and we can get the artist in on it so uh, so they can field questions about the process and the gear and stuff because um, I just I know we all put so much hard work into what we do um, and it's really hard to you know, get people to listen to it or get feedback on it. And I I think this will just be a cool way for uh, the Discord community of musicians um, to, uh, yeah, kind of get their moment to to talk about this thing that they've put so much work into. Um, So yeah, head over to the Discord and and check it out. Last night, it was so much fun. We did um, uh, Woke Ass Messiah's Dog Days, and then we did uh, Mousy Magazine's uh, the Mockingbird, which I highly recommend you check out both of those records. Um, it was really cool to to ask uh, to ask Carl and Hank about you know how they made certain sounds or their their uh, their motivation for certain choices that they did. Um, and also, what was cool for me is I got to see see and hear see people's faces and hear their voices. Uh, I, I do a lot of interaction with people on Discord and and Instagram, and and some people I've been interacting with for you know two plus years and you know they're they're a username and a tiny profile picture for so long and it and to see people's faces and get some like you know as close to face to face as we can but you know through zoom um it's just really nice to put like a face and and a voice to uh to people that i've been interacting with so 
yeah, that's I guess that's kind of my little uh, spiel on what's cool about it for me. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. So please head over to the Discord. Um, I've been loving how everybody's doing their own patch challenges. They'll, they, they'll do the patch challenges from the week and upload them onto the patch challenge uh, channel. So lots of really cool interaction over there. I feel like I just have so much stuff to talk about. So much stuff has happened, but um, we're already we're, we're already seven minutes into this intro, and I know we got to get to this chat with Marcus. Um, but I'll just say one one more little quick thing is uh, Hannah and I we were walking by Fanta Graphics, uh, the the graphic novel store. It's it's a big publisher based out of Seattle, um, and they have their own store down actually kind of in our neighborhood. Um, and graphic novels are always something that Hannah and I have dabbled in, but wanted to get into and just kind of on a whim, we're like, let's go in there and just like find something. Um, and so we went in there and we actually spent more money than we should have. But, um, yeah, we got, we got some stuff that some of it was really good. And, and some of it was, you know, some hits, hits and misses, but, uh, we've both now have read, uh, black hole by Charles Burns. That was really interesting. And I'm really into the Meg Mog and owl comics. They're, they're just like these, these uh, late twenty dirtbag people. <laughs> um, it's like a witch, a cat, and an owl, um, and it's it's really graphic and really gross. But it's just kind of like it's just kind of like funny and sad. And I don't know. I, I dig the artwork. So uh, yeah, I guess I'm into uh, I guess I'm into graphic novels now or comics. We'll see how that goes. Um, thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. I really, really, really appreciate it. I'm trying to. Uh, to generate extra content to make it more, um, you know, appealing to all of you who are maybe on, on the border. Like, do I want to, or do I not want to sign up? Um, I mean, for the price of a cup of coffee, like you go down to a coffee shop, the amount that you spend on that one cup of coffee, um, like that's what you could do on Patreon and you get close to six hours of content for free here on the, the, the podcast plus bonus. I do, I'm doing bonus, uh, walkthrough videos of, uh, how I do my remote performances. I'm doing practice performances by the fireside. Um, so you'll get early access to those. Um, and yeah, all sorts of cool stuff. I hope so. Thank you to everybody who has signed up on Patreon. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, I have talked too long in this intro. We are going to chat with Marcus Fisher now. One quick note on production. Um, Marcus's microphone uh, levels were a little hot at the beginning, but that cools down after a few minutes. So yeah, it'll be just fine. We'll get through this. Thank you so much for coming back to Padre the Modcast. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me, Marcus. I really appreciate it. I feel like it's been a long time coming. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. Um, I first learned about you through kind of, I think it was one of the first few episodes of doing the show. Um, Mark Weidenbaum brought you up. Um, cause he mentioned that, he, oh, yeah. uh-huh. that you, you played his kind of like book release party for the 33 and a third book he wrote on the Aphex twin. Um, yeah. Selected ambient works. Um, then and he, then he blamed me for getting him into modular. Yep, that, well, that was pretty much how it went. <laughs> now, do you take full yeah. responsibility for that? I mean, I guess so, but I, it's like he had to have wanted to a little bit in the first place. But um, yeah, I was just talking to him on uh, over Zoom the other day, and oh, yeah? 
Um, yeah, I was like, I was just thinking back about how that's such a was such a funny experience that he like, you know, sent me a couple questions about it and then just really just dove right in. So, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's how it kind of goes for everybody, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh it was so cool for just to talk about him for a moment. I just I got to I got to give him all the all the credit I yeah, that I can cuz he his uh his Junto group that he that he started that I that I joined up when I first started getting into electronic music was just so instrumental in me kind of cutting my teeth as, you know, like a producer or you know electronic musician and kind of led me in such a a direction that i'm not sure that i'd be sitting here having this conversation with you without that so um yeah if you're listening mark i just wanted to say that um you're one of the i feel like every once in a while i get i get a guest and it's it's somebody that it's like i don't like where do we start there's there's no way we can cover everything (laughs) Um, so there's going to be people out there who are like, I wish you would have talked about this. Um, but what I tend to, uh, do on this show is I kind of like to do, uh, dive into like the, like the person, the personal aspect of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious to get to know you and, uh, you know, where, like where you came, where you came from and how you ended up where you're at right now. So let's start there. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Southern California, like, um, just on the coast, like, uh, outside of LA, like 25 miles south of, of LA, like right near San Pedro. Um, yeah, so I grew up down there. Uh, my parents are both immigrants. Uh, they, my mom's from the Philippines, my dad's from Switzerland, and they both met in LA. And, uh, yeah, so I had... You know, it was just me and my mom and dad and sister there. Like, we had no relatives in this country. So, um, and that didn't seem that weird to me at the time, just because there's so many um, immigrants in Southern California or California in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But it definitely feels strange um, being in the Pacific Northwest like that, because I feel like so many people are just so much more deeply rooted um, here than what I was used to. Yeah, that could be a weird thing to kind of wrap your head around later in life. Like, to be like, oh, I've never thought about this before. Like, I can yeah, see I mean, being... my wife's family is massive here. Like, you know, she has like 30 cousins and all kinds of stuff. So it's yeah. like it was a total night and day uh, from my experience growing up. Yeah, yeah. That, my, my family's pretty well rooted here, too. And I've definitely had, um, you know, partners or, or friends kind of come into the fold. And that's how I realized how weird it was to have such an such a close tight knit, like integrated. Oh, you, you like hang out with your, you know, your uncle that well, you know, your cousins that well. And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. We're definitely rooted up here. Um, so we're, are you, either of your parents musicians? No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, my mom was a fashion designer and my dad was a, an engineer. Okay. And I can yeah. actually strangely kind of see how, how, that adds to your equation. Like there's yeah, like, yeah. I mean the aesthetics and the engineering kind of come together. Definitely. <laughs> in definitely. A weird way, so. Yeah. Do yeah. you, do you feel like that both of them in their professional life had like a, a big impact on like, like what you ended up doing professionally and, and creatively and artistically? Um, not necessarily like what I do, but I think how I do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, 
I mean, my dad being Swiss and an engineer, like he was always very, you know, methodical and, and pretty precise about his working. And my mom was kind of like, or actually they both just kind of would, you know, they weren't afraid to just like try things and, and show me how to do things. So it's like my mom, you know, gave me a couple sheets of paper and let me at, like sew paper on her sewing machine you uh-huh. know, when I was a little and my dad would like force me to uh, help him, you know, with projects around the house and, and uh-huh. different things or scrape barnacles off of a boat or whatever. <laughs> like, but it was like, I don't know, it taught me a definite, like I had that immigrant work ethic and, um, you know, kind of like not afraid to tackle certain problems. So that actually just like so quickly yeah. into this conversation kind of like answered like a cloud of questions I had as a, you know, oh. just kind <laughs> of knowing who you are and how you work. Um, that all just makes perfect sense because you, you kind of, you, you don't, you're kind of like a cloud almost in a way. You kind of, you kind of <laughs> cover a lot of different stuff. And, and, uh, I see that like not, a, not, you don't necessarily like, you're not necessarily a rule follower. It seems like as far as like, you know, well, guitars are for this and, tape machines are for this and modulars for this. So that's really yeah. interesting how quickly that kind of, that locked in. Are you trilingual? No, I wish yeah. that would be like, <laughs> yeah, I think that my parents, because they both were just, you know, came here and were trying to assimilate and English was their common language. So mm-hmm. yeah, they did not teach my sister and I, um, that I took like German in high school and stuff. And then everybody in the Philippines, like all my relatives speak English like, you know, they would learn in school and everything. So I had no reason to learn it going to visit them. Yeah. Um, like I know how to count to 10 in Tagalog and I know some expressions, but like, yeah, there's, yeah. it wasn't necessary. Yeah. I have two, I have two cousins who are half Filipino. My, my dad's brother married uh-huh. a Filipino woman and yeah, they, they only speak English and, and I think it's for similar reasons. They just like, it was never really a situation where they needed it. I think, their, uh, mm-hmm. their grandmother lives with them and has their whole life. And I think early on she tried to teach him. But I think also like a kid, like kids are kids and that's not cool. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to hang out with grandma. I want to listen to uh, sync or whatever <laughs> it was they were listening to. Back yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how does well, music find or how do you find music? And it, do you find it before you decide you want to play it? Like I feel like there's there's like two ways people get into it. They have a rich like relationship with music for a while and then want to participate or maybe start participating and then from that grows like this this love like was it either of those for you it was definitely I found it before I wanted to do it um my sister and I uh joined Columbia House uh, (laughs) is that like the one cent the one cent yeah you know you'd get like however many and I mean back when I was doing it. It was records and tapes uh-huh. um, pre CD, uh, which dates me a bit. But like, <laughs> yeah, so like we, you know, got like Michael Jackson's Thriller and like Huey Lewis and the News 4 <laughs> and like Cindy Lauper and all these things, you know, like, and then, you know, never paid the, the follow up money. And my dad had to like yell at some collection agent who was like trying to <laughs> like collect on it, like, they're kids. What are you talking about? And like, Never call me again. Yeah. But yeah, so the <laughs> like getting music like that. Um and then my dad had a lot of tape recorders around when I was a kid. Like I think he would tape seminars that he went to and then he'd also order like 
you know, tapes from motivational speakers uh-huh. and then um, bootleg them and then send them back. Like, so um, that was like, <laughs> that yeah, is so like thrifty. dubbing tapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, he was like totally that way. Like, um, but yeah, so we, I don't know, I grew up with like, you know, that knowledge of how to make mixtapes and, and dub stuff early on. And so I think that's really where my love of music came from was along with that kind of recording and, and combining of sound. Uh, and then, well, you know, when I was in like fourth grade, I tried to learn saxophone, but it was also the same year that I was allowed to like ride my bike to school by myself. So it was kind of like riding my bike or carrying the saxophone, right. uh-huh. you know, so it's like I never wound up practicing or anything. I had wanted to play the drums, but that wasn't an option. Yeah. Like they forced me into saxophone. Um, but yeah, and it wasn't until high school when I um, had a friend of mine who played bass and I was just like, oh, that's cool. You know, it's, I had never really thought about bass before. Mm-hmm. And um, I wound up renting one from a local music store for like a couple months and then used all my money from my, my summer job to buy a Fender P bass oh, and, nice. and started learning myself. Um, yeah. And that was like, I think I was a freshman in high school or something then. So, um, yeah, that's the, and immediately I just started playing with people. So I didn't really take, I took lessons for like maybe three months or something, but, um, you know, like I just started making music with people and mm-hmm. improvising and, um, started a little band and all that, but it was like just through, you know, making noise with other people that I really got into, um, you know, music on its, on its, mm-hmm. um, in that kind of collective experience rather than just listening on headphones to tapes at home or whatever. Yeah. What kind of music, what kind of yeah. bands were you playing in, in those like early days? Um, kind of like, I don't know. I mean, one of them was like straight up noise music that was just like we made a wall of amps and would play behind <laughs> it. And so it was just like, uh, you know, like total noise with tapes playing like Twin Peak samples and uh-huh. all kinds of stuff. And then another was like more like um, minimalist kind of pop group that was like um, me and another guy. And we'd all switch, we'd switch instruments between drums and guitar. And I played in another band that was like, I don't know. I don't know how you'd categorize it. It kind of went all over the place, but we would switch between drums, bass, and guitar. So like from pretty much right off the bat, I learned how to play multiple instruments, like just from that experience. So, okay. Yeah. I just, I love hearing these stories. I'm like, I love hearing them, but I'm also like a little jealous, like hearing stories of people being in like noise bands in high school. Because (laughs) when I was in high school, it was like lived in such a small secluded town where like, I didn't know, like I, I didn't even know noise music or you know anything like that existed. Yeah. It was basically like what my older, like older cousins and older kids in school would hand me down tapes and CDs. Yeah. So, so I oh, just, totally. I mean, <laughs> I think it is only through the like generosity of older people that younger people know about music. Anyway, it's like oh, totally. You know, someone has to. Yeah. Someone has to let you in. And and but yeah, that was a fun. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I lucked out with my one of my, my my best friend actually his older older sister. If it wasn't for her, I don't know where I would have ended up musically because you know I, I was listening to, you know like 
new new metal, like the NU metal. That uh-huh. was kind of like what was oh, going yeah, on. Yeah. And you know, my older cousins passed me their Ozzy Osbourne and Metallica and all that. But then she got me into like the Descendants and Misfits, and that kind of like led me down. You know, getting into punk rock kind of led me out of like what was actually a pretty pretty horrible area of music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty dark era of music, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, punk rock, like, really getting into punk, it changed everything. I mean, it's like, especially the DIY kind of um, side of it, just like that mm-hmm. you could do whatever you wanted. Like, you could make your own scene. You could, you know, make your own records. Like, that was like, when I was like a sophomore in high school, I started... Um, dubbing my own tapes of like my band and friends of mine band started a little record label and I would like take the bus to hunting or um, Hermosa beach. And there was a little kind of store that sold blank tapes uh-huh. and like stickers and like Norelco cases and stuff. And I would just like, you know, spend whatever money I could and load up my backpack with tapes and then take them back home and dub them photocopy covers, you know, cut them out sell them at shows or through the mail mm-hmm. and then like mm-hmm. reinvest that money. And within a couple of years I had enough that I could start making records. So I put out a couple of records. Oh, like, that's awesome. And that was all like when I was in high school and it was like easy doing that in LA. Cause you could drive from like the mastering guy to like the plating plant to the pressing plant and just like do everything like super cheap. Like I never had to pay for shipping of anything. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it was like pretty great. And then when I moved to Olympia, Washington after high school, I put out like one record and I was like, holy shit, it's so expensive now because I had to like <laughs> ship everything to me and then like pay courier service and all of that and then mail it from there. And I just like, I just stopped doing it because it was too expensive yeah. <laughs> but compared to like the, the, what I was used to paying like, yeah, it was, it's funny. I love, yeah, there's, what is it? I don't know what it is about like just the the DIY aesthetic of whether it's music or um, you know like a, people who making comics or anything like mm-hmm. it's just so attractive to me like I, I I'll buy something from somebody who's doing that just because I like that they're doing it even if I don't really necessarily totally. like the product itself there's just there's something about that that excites me and um, I love that that it seems like with like the digital age that's kind of changed in a way well it's changed it's changed like positively and negatively, but it's weird to see that like this kind of DIY aesthetic still exists, especially like in the electronic scene with a lot of, you know, cassette labels setting up on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank God for Bandcamp. Um, yeah, for real. Um, yeah, it's just cool to see that that's still going. Um, and it's, and it seems like it's kind of, um, I see, I see this progression a lot, people getting into punk DIY, that whole aesthetic early on in life. I feel like you end mm-hmm. up in noise, ambient, experimental, you know, <laughs> modular territory eventually. Um, yeah. It's almost like the, the, the Super Saiyan model of it. If, I don't know why I went with a Dragon Ball Z reference. I didn't even watch Dragon Ball Z. Um, I didn't catch it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I just oh so you went to Olympia. Did you go there to go to um, Evergreen? Sort of. Sort of. Um, I mean, not really. Like I, I was living in LA um, and just going to community college and wasn't really doing anything. Um, and then I had some friends in Olympia that I knew through 
um, people that I met originally from ordering tapes from me mm-hmm. that became good friends and pen pals. And they were like, hey, you know, we got a house. We need another roommate. You should move up here. And like I had, you know, done a lot of um, stuff in music and, and knew a lot of those Olympia bands and everything. So I was like, yeah, sure. And it was like super cheap. Like my rent was like a 170 bucks a month. Oh, and so wow. nice. I just moved. I lived in an awesome house where we could have shows and have bands play in our basement and all that. And, nice. Um, was that like K Records? Yeah, went to, or like a little yep, after uh-huh. that? K Records, Kill Rock Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was like right, you know, when you could still see like Bikini Kill play in a basement or whatever, uh-huh, like that kind uh-huh. of era. So, um, microphones, was Phil, Phil hanging around there? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That okay. was like, I got there maybe two years before Phil okay. um, got there. So, okay. Yeah. I'm saying it like I know him. Mountie Area is like one of my favorite bands. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to have a screen printing shop in um, the K Records building, which had a door that opened to Dub Narcotic, uh-huh. Calvin's studio there, which was just like a massive empty room for most of it. And then, like, the studio part took up like one little L-shaped corner and I would screen print posters and record covers and like lay them out on the floor in there. Like Mm -hmm. Calvin would let me, um, lay them out to dry and, um, Phil would be in there working on microphone stuff. So like I was screen printing while he was recording. Um, what was that? The one, I don't remember like the glow part two. the the glow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that was it. Um, yeah, that's cool. So you were you were in Olympia at a really really exciting time, or just in Washington State in general. Yeah. I think was was pretty cool. And Portland, I'm sure Portland on up to Seattle was it kind of like a cool connected scene? Did it feel that way then? Yeah, totally. Like yeah, I would go you know from Seattle to Portland, you know, regularly mm-hmm. for shows or for see friends. Like I would always hop on the train or Greyhound or whatever and come down to Portland to see friends of mine down here or. Catch a show or whatever. Like, you, you must have done that a lot, a lot because I feel like I hear your name come up so much from so many different people. Like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> like, like Mark Wiedenbaum to to you know, like hanging out with Phil Elverum while he's recording that album, and then you've worked with you know with uh, Sam and John from uh, Tortoise and uh, C and Cake, which I definitely want to talk talk about that later on. Um, but oh, by yeah. the, by the time you get into Olympia, what are like what are you doing musically at this point? Are you are you into um, like experimental art installation type stuff by this point? Um, not necessarily installation art, but still music and experimenting with tapes and stuff. Like I, when I moved to Olympia, I'm trying to think. I brought my drum kit, and then um, yeah, some other things. Like I don't even think I. I think the only guitar I had at the time was taken apart in pieces. Uh, and so when I got to Olympia, like two weeks after I moved there, all of my roommates uh, went away for a month, like on tour. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I, so that was like most of the people that I knew. And so I just played drums like all day <laughs> like <laughs> for a month or something. And like got really back into doing that. And, um, yeah, like was, you know, just making four track recordings and stuff. And then uh, met some people and joined a band that already existed. And then it kind of turned into something else and was 
mostly just playing drums for a long time. So still doing kind of more experimental stuff on my own and then playing drums in a bunch of different bands mm-hmm. and touring and stuff. So that was like, um, yeah, I mean, getting into visual art more, but uh, mostly just playing drums and making tapes and stuff. Okay, cool. So how does that progression go then? Like from, from then to now, like what seems like some, some major things must have had to have shifted or just kind of slowly progressed or. Yeah. I mean, all the bands that I was in split up for various reasons. Bands do that. I was, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it's like, so I was touring a lot, not only on my, with my projects, but I started, working for this band in Seattle that was called Hovercraft. Mm-hmm. They um, they played music to, like, a uh, experimental music to a movie. Okay. And I was the projectionist. So I, like, okay. you know, it's like, would set up the screen and, and project this um, movie. And they played, like, a kind of improvised set around this um, movie. But the drummer had, like, a convex mirror on his drum set so he could see the screen behind him oh wow and so he could kind of like there were different cues you know that he would follow but mostly like it was different every night Uh but so that was fun like and we toured with um the boredoms for like a month and like the melvins and different bands and i got super burnt out from that and it was like not very gratifying because like um i don't know it's different touring when it's your own music, but kind of just doing it for somebody else was like not as fun. (laughs) Yeah. I could see that for sure. Um, And I've heard touring is just exhausting. Yeah, it can be. And like, so I don't know. So then I got back from that and like, I had just started dating um, Nicole, who's my wife now. But at that time, like we had just started dating and it was just like, I was just gone all the time and using calling cards to call from pay phones. (laughs) And it was kind of like, I just wanted to be, home for a while and mm-hmm. so my desire to not tour anymore um wound up breaking up one of those bands and so yeah because they were like well, what's the point of doing it if we're not going to tour right yeah. and so yeah so that kind of um fell off and then when we moved to portland uh i went from living in a house where we could make a lot of noise um to living in a one-bedroom apartment in Portland and that really mm-hmm. changed everything. Like that's really where, you know, it happened. I didn't have anyone at the time to play music with. And then I couldn't make a lot of noise and I had gotten into like looping pedals and like I had a little boss sampler and my Wurlitzer electric piano and just started like making more quiet, spacious droning music yeah. at that point. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was sort of like shedding one aspect of um like my musical history and focusing on a different one yeah yeah i i I mean i have it somewhat similar in that i was like in a in a in a band i've I've been in two bands that i ended up leaving because i i i started just liking other types of music and just kind of Mm -hmm. like just couldn't make that type of music anymore and that's yeah moving from this you know smaller town in central washington to seattle with roommates Mm -hmm. and you know, that's like no band. That's when I really started going in and doing more experimental electronic stuff that I could make on my own and start experimenting with gear. Um, I'm curious to know, like did modular, is that because of 
moving to Portland, you think? I know like you moved to the place where that was really probably bubbling at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, the modular thing came out about because most of my, um, setup was based around, um, guitar pedals Mm -hmm. and like, so for my solo stuff, I would just like, uh, you know, looping on different pedals and kind of pulling things out and reprocessing them. Like I built like a little, um, pin matrix patch bay where, so I could recombine the pedals in different configurations when I, um, when I wanted to for, uh, like change the routing. And so it was sort of like I had made a bit of a modular setup anyway. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had toured with that setup. Like I went to Japan with it and, and everything. And it was just like really bulky and heavy. And at the time, um, Taylor Dupree, who I make music with and who runs 12K out in New York, the label that puts out my stuff. Mm-hmm. He had he had gotten into Eurorack way back when, when he was doing more techno stuff um, and sold it all and bought like a Nord Modular Um and then he was kind of keeping his eye on the modular thing. It was like kind of tempted to get into this. And like, mm-hmm. I remember just looking up the price for a case and I was like that, like for a case, yeah. and like, you can't even make sound yet. <laughs> like, fuck it. You know, I'm not yeah. going to do it. And, um, but then like I started looking at it more and more and more. And then I was like, yeah, it sound seems kind of cool, but it's not quite there. Like as far as what I'd want to do with it. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until I think I saw the ADAC wave player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the voltage control sample playback thing where I was just like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, there's something there. And then, like, then um, Tom Whitwell's touring machine and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, okay, like, I think I want to, you know, jump into that. And then I was hanging around and I read in the paper one day about this synthesizer store opening in Portland. And I was like, what the hell? Like, synth store in portland and so i looked it up looked up the address and it was like right near um my work and so i one day on my lunch break i kind of like poked my head around and um saw they had paper over the windows but the front door was open and like i looked in and it was jason kramer from control voltage and he's like hey man come in you know and just kind of <laughs> waved me in and uh-huh. i had been familiar with his name because of the monome forums at that time and so because he had lived out in um uh in philly when brian and kelly from monome were living there too i think they lived in the same building or whatever okay but um yeah so we got to talking and i was about to leave to go to japan on tour and i wound up buying a mini chaos pad from him like Uh the mini kp2 and so i was the very first control voltage purchase that is so cool um, ever like before they <laughs> officially opened but yeah and so then having that place where you could just go and try stuff out and ask questions and like jason and everyone at control voltage are really just amazing people and mm-hmm. so that was like it felt safer to do it because i had this resource there and so taylor kind of got into it i got into it like my wife bought me a um one of those tip-top happy ending kits. Yep, that's what I started um, with. Yep, and so then I got into it th- through there. Like, got a used ADAC wave player, 
got a second ADAC wave player, <laughs> like, just wound up, you know, like jumping in from there. And then once things like the Nebulae came out, which was like mm-hmm. really cool um, mm-hmm. for granular, fuck shit up kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really just like fairly committed at that point and shed most of the guitar pedals. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, still use any guitar pedals now? Or are you kind of doing hybrid stuff or do you mostly just process? Yeah, yeah, I still use um guitar pedals. There's just some things that are just better um than yeah. and like a fraction of the price of something that you'd find in your rack. Just right, the right. Same thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. are some of the pedals that you like to use right now? Oh, um I love I mean I, this has been the core of like my setup for a long time but the even tied time factor mm-hmm. the looper on it is just better than anything else like you can record to it and there's different methods for replacing the stuff that you've recorded or you can move the loop points like that you can mm-hmm. set an a and a b point and you can like scan oh, nice. that around uh-huh. and um you can change the speed by like octaves or fifth or seventh oh or, wow okay or whatever so it's just like you can take a simple drone and turn it into chords um with overdubbing and stuff okay so that sounds pretty cool that electro harmonics freeze pedal is like something that yeah. is always good yeah i have like five of them oh really you know? <laughs> yeah um no oh, no six six three of them were gifted to me from um uh Kathy and Summer from Data Choir. Do you know that YouTube channel? No, I'm not familiar. They do like pedal demos and stuff. That's great. And they're okay. also a band. But you should check them out. Um, what other pedals? The Chase Bliss Blooper. Okay. I was going to um, ask if you use the, I have the Mood, which I really, really like. Oh, but yeah. I haven't messed mm-hmm. with Blooper at all. Blooper is really great. I got it just right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I spent some time with it. Oh, no, no. Right before the pandemic started. And I like... Yeah, I played a show with um, Ted Ladaris, who's the Ure, mm-hmm. who just got into modular stuff, um, where I played vibraphone and blooper, and then he did cello. And so oh, I just nice. like wound up doing all most of the, like, the looping and processing of the vibraphone okay. through blooper. That so it was very cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of pandemic and quarantine, how have you been faring mm-hmm. like mentally and creatively through the whole thing? terribly yeah the whole time yeah. has it been waves or has it been the whole at the very beginning i was like still you know like so i had a bunch of stuff planned for um february march and april like i was supposed to go um to prague to play a show with taylor dupree and then i had a solo art exhibition planned in taiwan that I was going to go there for this um, installation at this gallery. And then um, I was going to go to Japan right after that to play music. And so like all of that just like went away. And um, one of my installation pieces that uh, um, was in the Whitney Biennial was going to show again at two different places um, this last summer, but that all got pushed out. Uh, so you had a lot of, of stuff, them, like just that you were really yeah, looking I had a lot forward of stuff to doing, just, like, just evaporate. Yep, it just all went away, and like my day job work stuff all went away. So at the beginning, I was kind of when the novelty of like having a bunch of free time was still 
there. Like I, I did a couple, you know, streaming concerts and then um, was trying to take more pictures, like going walks and take photos. And then um, everything just like, like come June, I was just like done. And yeah. so like I really haven't made any music mm-hmm. um, of consequence since April or whatever. I think that the that Sakamoto thing was the last music I made. And then, um, yeah, and I haven't been taking that many pictures too. I bought a new used medium format camera and I've been enjoying taking the photos, but I haven't. I've only developed two roles from that yeah. so far, but yeah, it's yeah. it's been weird for everyone, um, obviously. Um, and I just feel like, yeah, creatively, I kind of had like a similar thing. I, I felt like when at the beginning with the novelty, like, like my like I was I worked in construction for a long time and just hated it so much, and it just like it sucked all of my like creative and just like emotion like out of me that when it was when we did have that kind of novel period where you're talking about my wife had a, like some weeks off like it was kind of like weird not I don't want to say fun because it was definitely like crazy and bad things were happening but like our, our personal little island it was you know like we bought a Nintendo Switch and oh my god we get mm-hmm. to spend time with each other and this is such a weird yeah. thing and um and then I was kind of like you know I felt like the, the, like, well, I have all this time I need to, to make something. And I, I quickly kind of told myself, like, don't put that pressure on yourself to like, feel mm-hmm. like you have to make something. Cause I saw a lot of people kind of beating themselves up for, I have all this time, but I'm not making the album that I've wanted to, to be working on. And, um, did you feel any of that? Were you kind of like, why am I not doing this? Or, or did, did you have some compassion for yourself in the, in the, in the, the situation of the world? I mean, I wanted to do things, but I just like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much compassion for myself and I'm not <laughs> yeah. very um, good about being kind to myself in that way. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I started antidepressants and started counseling and stuff. Like yeah. it's like, it's been, it's been hard. Like I'm, I, I won't lie. Like it's been yeah, and then I mean, like a lot of it is just like, do I even have anything left to offer, or do I just like, you know, give up and find something else to do? Yeah, it's just like it's really like it's hit that point. Yeah, um, quite a few times. So, well, it's something I've always said about depression, like I've I've dealt with it as long as I can remember, um, mm-hmm. and so it's been kind of it's kind of strange going through like anxiety and depression. Something that's always kind of like been at the forefront of just my existence unfortunately and with like everything that's happening now it's kind of weird to like have a have a more of a tangible reason for all of those feelings to exist um but yeah the the being hard on yourself is is really hard but i will say one thing i've noticed through, through dealing with depression for so long is it is so cruelly convincing so like that thought you're just talking you know mentioning of like do i have anything else that's just like that's just like classic seems like classic depression talking and just as another Mm -hmm. depressive person, I just want to say to you right now, like, you know, don't, don't try not to anyways. I mean, it's, I hate the don't do this advice too, because it doesn't really work, but try not like it's try not to invest too much in that because it's, that's, it's, it's cruel and deceptive like that. Um, yeah. And the whole world and like the compassion towards yourself is something that I, I also struggle with, but I think it's, 
I've been trying to turn that outward and just have compassion for the whole situation. Everyone's in this crazy thing and, and, and hopefully like through doing that, you can kind of turn it around on yourself. But, um, yeah, I'm glad. Thank you for talking about this, by the way. I know it's, it's very personal and, um, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're doing the therapy and trying stuff. I actually just got myself a prescription for some antidepressants because that's been hard Mm -hmm. for me too. And, um, I've always been resistant to it, but I think I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot, but, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think anything that, anything that you can try to get yourself out of it because it's, you don't want to be in that place for too long because it does start to convince you of stuff that's just not, not worth thinking about, not true, you know? So I believe that there's some really good stuff in your future coming out creatively. Um, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really easy for me to say on this end, but but yeah, we yeah. don't have to belabor that too much. Um, unless there's anything else you wanted to say on the matter, I feel like I just rambled for a long time. But, no, no, I appreciate it. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, going through all of this has made me realize, like, you know, that this it's been a long time. Like, I've probably been pretty severely depressed for quite a while, but I was just busy enough. Yeah. um, Yeah. Where I was able to be distracted from it Mm -hmm. and not, you know, like not give it the attention that it needed. And like, I mean, like over a year ago, like my wife told me that she thought that I was depressed and basically begged me to get help. And I just, I didn't do it, you know? And it's like, I, I, um, yeah, I was just, like, too busy or whatever. And, like, you know, I could make any excuse that I want to right now, but it's mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it, um, I didn't need to do it. And I, yeah. I did. And, like, that, so that was really, um, you know, that was a tough thing to be confronted with. Definitely. And, like, yeah, and I don't know. It's, like, I came from a family where, we, like, we didn't talk that much about feelings, and there definitely wasn't much discussion of mental health or whatever and like i mean being raised um by like catholic parents like you know my mom if i would tell her something like that she'd probably just say like to pray or something and it's just like that just doesn't work for me and so it's like yeah and and that in like all the reading that i've been doing that's just like avoidant behavior like rather than yeah (laughs) tackling any problem so yeah i don't know it's like it's none of it's come easy to me for a number of reasons. And Mm so it's like, yeah. And the whole like stigma around taking antidepressants or whatever, like, yeah. And I was really afraid that it would make things worse. And it did for a while. Like, like, um, yeah, like I told you over email, like it was, um, yeah. I like the first one that they got me on, like I wound up going way darker than I was before and I Mm -hmm. just stopped taking them. Yeah which I found out later that's like, you shouldn't do that. You should wean yourself off of them rather than yeah. cold turkey. And so I'm on something else now. And I mean, it hasn't made it worse, but I don't know if it's making it any better. Yeah. But yeah, I'll just try it. So Yeah. I mean, I also, I'm also raised by Catholic parents with the same type of advice. So I totally get that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I think all, everything you just, said about the stigma and everything it's it's like that's all wrapped up into that like kind of deception and like the social Mm -hmm. stigmas and it's like i like i was so resistant to trying to to getting on i would do therapy but i didn't want the pharmaceutical help Mm 
Mm-hmm. And and I still don't understand why. Like every time my wife and I would talk about it, she would, you know, be like, well, why? And then I would say a reason. And she's like, that's not a real reason. Like you take five HTP mm-hmm. supplements. What's the difference? Because my, oh, I don't mm-hmm. want to take something every day. Well, you take something every day yeah. right now. Like, so yeah. I, I was just constant, constant excuses. But I think one of the biggest excuses is I hear stories like you, yours, like I took it and made it worse or I took it and I don't know if it's working. Part mm-hmm. of my thing is like, hope scares me sometimes and I don't want to have the hope that, Hey, maybe this is going to be the thing that makes it stop because if it doesn't, right. then you hang that on that and then it could be a big letdown. So you got to do a lot yeah, of yeah, weird totally. mental jujitsu with this stuff and it's a lot of work. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm still very new to it. So it's like, I don't know like the process or whatever. So yeah, well, I Let's think see. it's just so highly personal and where it comes from and mm-hmm. you know, today's world is not doing any of us any favors. So it's, no, definitely not. that's been a really hard thing. I, I went on a 10 day road trip with my wife and we went to um, Yellowstone and I was filming all these, just, I was, I just got a new camera and I was filming everything and I was, mm-hmm. I have a battery powered synth and I was, I, you know, I did a performance in front of a sleeping bison. I did a performance under, <laughs> by an erupting geyser and, and, you know, so it's like it was just this great time and it's just this huge novel experience. And that whole time I didn't feel anxious or depressed. So you get back yeah. and you think, okay, well, I'm about to start taking something. But I was just in this novel situation where it stopped. But I can't be in a novel situation all the time. But there's something going on in my brain that stopped it. So, like, right. it makes you just kind of like that's another one of those excuses I was always looking for to, to stay off of them. Well, well, sometimes, you know, there's something going on there. But... Yeah, you just can't go on 10-day vacations for the rest of your life, so. <laughs> I know, right? If only. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, well, thank you for being open about all, all of this. I, I, I find when we talk about it, it, I have a few people reach out and, and really appreciate hearing about it. And, and just knowing that you're not alone in it is, is oddly helpful. Um, but you just mentioned something a few moments ago, like the last piece of music you made. You worked with, with uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto. Mm-hmm. Can like he is one of like I, I just like I admire him so much like he's one of my guys I'd say like how did can you just walk us through how and what that was and and what it was like Yeah um I mean so I met him through Taylor uh I think it was in 2014 um Taylor and Richie were playing sonar in Iceland, Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so Taylor had an extra ticket to go and asked me if I wanted to come so, and that we could maybe work on a project while we were there. So I flew out with him and uh, they did a concert together. And like, uh, it was beautiful in like Harpa, the performing arts center right there in the... Um, Mm -hmm. on the harbor in town and then Taylor and I just like spent um, the rest of the time driving around and taking photos and did a little bit of like hotel room synth recordings and stuff but um, he was just such a sweet guy and and you know had been supportive of the music and everything that I was doing and then once um, you know he'd send me a little note now and then over Instagram or whatever and like then I was going out to New York a lot because of uh, the the Whitney Museum, and so 
and it's not too far from his place. And so I just hit him up, you know, and one time and I was like, Hey, I'm going to be out there again, you know, such and such a date. Do you want to meet up? And he's like, Oh yeah, let's have brunch, um, by my place. And so we met for brunch and we're talking and, you know, it's just like, it was interesting to just to talk to him about, you know, collaboration and the nature of that and all that. And he kind of said, well, like we need to do something together, you know, no, no endpoint, this or that. And so I was like super honored by that. Yeah. And then, you know, and then like I was coming back to New York to do a performance um, at the museum and like they kind of had asked me like, is there anyone you'd want to work with? And I sort of was just like, Oh, it'd be great to do something with um, Sakamoto there. And so it turned out that he wasn't in the country at that point. And so, um, you know, but we just kept that dialogue going and then he came and saw my sound installations there. And, um, then once the pandemic hit, he had this idea for doing this series that would be like different collaborations with people. Like, so he did one with Fenez and, um, Alvin Noto and a lot of other great musicians, but he had this concept for like kind of incomplete, um, music. He said that he wanted to be like almost on almost music, but then not music. (laughs) And so, um, it was really pretty open. And so I wound up recording, uh, some really close mic'd and contact mic'd, um, percussion stuff, like different objects on drum heads and then some guitar and sent it to him. And he sent back, uh, some stuff that he did with some synth and effects. And like, so we just kind of did the back and forth thing. And then it came out, um, as a YouTube video. Uh, that's like a really beautiful black and white YouTube video of like people, you know, riding past a street light on bikes. And, uh, so it was like, that was really cool. And so I think the whole collection of collaborations at some point is going to come out as some cohesive release, but I don't know when or okay. what, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It was like, so he kind of told me this story about how a collaboration that he had with somebody had kind of gone wrong. Like they were both kind of fighting about a specific sound and like, like kind of damaged their friendship. And so then he was saying like, now his collaborations, he just like trusts in the other person to do what they do. And, you know, he's not going to try to change the other person's contribution. That's kind of incredible. That's yeah, that's really admirable. And yeah. So, I mean, at the same time, it's sort of nerve wracking because I'm yeah. like, oh, he could hate what I'm doing, but he'll never say it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I thought that that was like a nice, you know, guiding principle for a collaboration. It's like mm-hmm. you do your part, you trust that they do theirs and like you're not going to try to control them or anything. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I had some feedback about the mix for my own instruments, but nothing about his stuff. And yeah. He didn't really have any feedback for me, but. Yeah, it was just, it was really easy. And hopefully we get the chance to work together um, in person at some point. It would be great. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. What, what's that moment like when somebody likes, like him is like, I want to work with you? Like, that's kind of oh, like ter- terrifying. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, like, I feel like I could, don't know if I could handle it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would freak out. <laughs> 
Yeah, like when we were having brunch and he said that, like I was kind of like, like I had a moment where I'm like, did I hear that right? Like, because yeah. we were like in a in a kind of like small, noisyish restaurant. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, and I was just like, wait, did he say that we need to do something? Like, was he talking about somebody else? <laughs> but yeah, it was it was good. Um, and then when he sent me the email about wanting to do the incomplete series, uh, that was yeah, I was like, it felt like. Like, okay, I have one good thing I can look forward to now that since everything else in my um, professional life had just, like, yeah, came, fallen out from under me. So Yeah. God, that's yeah. so frustrating. I So my whole dream, like, one of my biggest dreams is to go on tour. And I, I went, like, the route of, like, going to college and, like, trying to get a real job and, and was doing, like, music on the side and just never had the opportunity to tour and mm-hmm. um it's still something i really want to do and leading up you know the end the end of last year i had said i was going to go down to san francisco and i was going to do a live podcast um and you know play a show with the peaked guys down there and and mark was mm-hmm. actually going to be uh one of the guests and um and then i was going to go to colorado for their synth they were going to fly mm-hmm. me out to play a show out there and then i was going to go up and play a show um in in uh calgary and then it just oh, all cool. just like mm-hmm. all of that evaporated. And I was like, I was about to start yeah. doing the stuff and it. So I, I, I can sympathize with that, that feeling. It's just, yeah. I mean, obviously you don't want to sit here and be like, woe is me. Cause there's people who have lost their lives and their livelihood, but oh, yeah. like, for, you know, on totally. a personal level, it was still, you know, pretty, uh, well, I'm glad you have that to look forward to. And that's a really cool thing to look forward to. I think like, that's just, uh, yeah. When, when you told me you were working with him, I was just like, what? Um, and then also you, you've, uh, you opened up for, um, for a project that was just talked about on the show recently with, with Sam, uh, Sam Precop mm-hmm. from, um, the sea and cake. He, he had a, he was talking when we were, when he was on the show about, uh, a project he was doing with, uh, um, with John from tortoise and like mm-hmm. you, you opened up for that project when they, yeah. when they played. Yeah. That's I so cool. A- I play in a trio called Wildcard with um, Paul Dickow, who plays music under the name Strategy. Oh, yeah. You mentioned then, that. I love Strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, William Selman, Bill Selman. Um, so the three of us, we do like, it's like improvised uh, modular kind of stuff with percussion. So, yeah, we um, we wound up having, like, we, we play really infrequently um, but then we had two kind of big shows, like in the same month, like we played, we opened for Seafeel, mm-hmm. um, who's like, you know, they've been around forever, Warp Records, like shoegazy yeah. kind of stuff from the nineties. And like, and then we did that, um, Sam Precop and John McIntyre show. And so that was really cool. And like, we have tons of recordings that we just need to weed through, but, uh, it just hasn't happened. Like we, yeah, we've all been really busy. Bill puts out a lot of music. Paul puts out a lot of music. Mm-hmm. I barely ever put out music. <laughs> um, so it's like, I'm really the, the slow one among us, but, um, yeah, I, like that's, it's a really fun project and it's different every time. Like we played, we went on tour with, uh, high plains, which is, um, Scott Morgan Lossel, his, um, electronics and cello projects a couple mm-hmm. years ago 
and that was great. And we just like played a different set every night and kind of just like saw where it would take us. And, Mm -hmm. um, it was really fun. So hopefully someday we get to do something like that again. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see what happens tonight. For those listening, we're yeah. doing this in the middle of election day at 2.30 p.m., so we still don't know what the hell is going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're getting close to an hour, and I really appreciate your time. There's just a few more things that I had written down. Um, I wanted to talk about the, the multiples, like the seed pod sound installation. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's just such a cool video. I'll put a link here in the show description. But I'm just curious, like... I feel like without sounding like a morning radio DJ, I'm trying to find like a good way to ask, like where, like, how do you come up with, how do you come up with this stuff? But like, like how can you walk me through like that project in particular? It's just like, it's, it's so creative, like kind of, it's like one of those things that's like geniusly simple, but like mm-hmm. no one would think of it, but it's just kind of cool. And what not, not kind of cool. Very cool. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know, like my sound installation work, it's, it tends to be pretty simple in like both in presentation and execution. Like I, it's not a bunch of like specially manufactured kind of things or like whatever, like I like to use kind of more, um, found objects and presented kind of cleanly. So anyone who's like looking at something could really tell, you know, this thing is making that thing happen and mm-hmm. so on. So, and it's the same with like the tape loops or, or whatever like that. It's like, you can really follow the transition of these sounds, you know, through space, but that process of, um, moving one object with another, like sound being like a physical force, mm-hmm. um, has always been something that's really interesting to me. Like, I mean, like that goes through, like my work with tuning forks and other kinds of things. It's just like, you know, you're vibrating, um, space. And so, um, my wife had found some of those seed pods, uh, from, they're from a tree called the Empress tree and they just have a really nice shape and sound. Um, and since that installation, I've actually found multiple trees in my neighborhood that are those ones. So I kind of uh-huh. make the rounds and uh-huh. like pick them up. Like I have a whole bag of those shells now. Um, but I had been asked by um, Veriform Gallery to do an installation there. And so I wanted to do something that fit well in that space. And it's like it was a small-ish gallery in, in downtown Portland. And... So I like had that. I worked through a couple different ideas, but I had known that I wanted to do that idea for some time. So it just kind of let me, um, gave me the chance to do it. But I, you know, had these twelve speakers, each with like two or three of these seed pods in it, and then um, like through that eight track reel to reel, I had different tones that were um, where I was controlling the amplitude of the signal in different multiples. So there were, you know, they ha- they all had different relationship to one another, not only harmonically, but like rhythmically in a way too. So mm-hmm. like, if you watch the video, you can kind of see like one starts and then, you know, another section starts and so on. But um, it's actually a pretty short loop, but it was in- interesting to see people 
come to the installation and just like watch it for a really long uh-huh. time. You know, they probably <laughs> the loop probably went by you know twenty times in the in the amount of time that they were watching. But it's kind of hard to discern what the pattern is. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so it's it's like a kind of organized randomness. But, yeah, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's thank you. And yeah. just for the listener, just for a visual, you should really go check out the video. But you've got you said eight speakers. On the um, twelve, 12 speakers 12 on the speakers. ground, yep. In front of like this, this setup, and you know. So I was wondering, yeah, like were you were you manually controlling amplitude, or it seemed like certain, you know, certain, um, you know, speakers would would rattle the the pods at certain frequencies. But so like, yeah. So you like created this piece, like I'm. Just, I was just like wondering, like how long were you out in a garage, like all right, this, at this point, this needs to go there and going back into the studio and like rewriting it or changing yeah. you know, EQing stuff. Like it just seemed like it would have been a, a long, but fun process. Yeah. I mean, that's like, so my studio where I'm talking to you from now is like, uh, it serves as like music space, photography space uh-huh. and research and development. Yeah. And it's kind of always like, like like when Taylor came to visit and we did some recording, he was just like, "Your studio is more like a workshop than a, a studio." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, that's true." Like I don't have any sound treatment or anything. It just is always like whatever I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I just wound up setting up several of those speakers um, and trying different frequencies. And it was sort of like you know when you're bouncing on a trampoline and then somebody else bounces and uh-huh. hits you in the right spot, and then all of a sudden you're like go flying through the yeah. air. So it was it was about that, you know, finding two different frequencies through one speaker that would kind of collide in that way mm-hmm. so that it would um wind up jumping up and then so that wasn't happening all the time, then I had a you know, I'd, I'd carve out like an LFO to kind of lower it and raise it again like after a certain duration. So yeah. It wasn't always going to be like going off like popcorn the whole time. Right. So and I was curious, going from a like, slow rattle to like a jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so like I was curious, how hard was like? So there's that aspect. There's a physical aspect of it. You figuring mm-hmm. out, okay, how do I do this? But then it's got to be like an enjoyable piece of music to listen to. Like, did you? Did, what did that kind of just naturally kind of work together, or did you get physically it down and then have to kind of wrangle it into a, like a piece of music? Yeah, I mean, I guess it didn't have to be a nice piece of music. I guess, well, yeah, I guess it didn't have to be, but it was. It it, it um, is nice, you know what I mean? Like, it yeah, sounds good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not huge into dissonant stuff for my installation work, but yeah, it was basically finding a bunch of frequencies and writing them down and then kind of finding ones that had nice harmonic relationship between mm-hmm. them. So, I mean, there were some that were probably better for getting, you know, the seed pods to jump around. But yeah, it was a little too um, difficult to listen to. And especially if, you know, whoever is at the gallery, uh, yeah, you don't want to like chase them out of there with like <laughs> this kind of like harsh tone. Like, um, But yeah, I mean, actually the ones that were more dissonant were better for um, for those interactions, but it just was not, yeah, it wasn't, huh. wasn't great, so... How long did that take you to kind of like from like the first the first seed of the thought to like fruition? Um, I mean, a couple of weeks probably. Okay. Like, I mean, well, I mean, I was like, I was just thinking about it in my head probably for 
more than a month before I started actually trying to do it physically. Mm -hmm. And so I only maybe started two weeks before the installation date, really um, dialing in what I wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, then I, so it wound up being 10 channels of audio. There were eight coming from the tape machine. And then there were two wall-mounted speakers opposite one another that had just a really close-miked sound of, like, the um, the seed pods, like, in the palm of my hand, just moving them oh, really slowly. okay, okay. And so there was, like, that was a much longer loop than the tape loop was. So I don't know, it wound up being this asynchronous kind of experience, but uh -huh. um, the installation itself took, like, two days. Like, okay. um, just hanging those three fluorescent tubes wound up taking the bulk of the time like <laughs> to get them because that gallery had really tall ceilings so i was up on a tall ladder uh -huh. you know balancing everything on monofilament so they would hang level and um be all contained and then i had already pre-wired the speakers so that part didn't take that long um but like yeah i don't know the whole thing just like tweaking the details mm -hmm. And that's kind of like, I don't know, it's like, that's its own process. I was going to say, like, just like, I'm, I'm picturing just like making a movie or even, or I mean, making an album or then just like, like the videos that I was talking about shooting, like mm -hmm. making a track in itself or an album. That's just, that's a lot of meticulous work. And then, you know, making, editing a video, but I feel like you, you'd make these, you, you could take it to this next step where it's just like this extra added step of intricacy and, and more work. And it's just like. I don't know. It's it seems like you're having a lot of fun. It's, that's that's what it, it it appears, you know, from the outside. It's just like I look at that and I'm like, God, that was probably so much fun to think of and get excited about and make happen. Like Yeah, yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. It was like a I think as far as installations go, that was pretty successful. And that was one thing like that the show that I was supposed to have in Taiwan, I was gonna do that same installation, but on a much larger scale. Like Okay. Um, like I wanted, you know, a whole big, long section of, of those speakers. Like, so that those speakers actually, you know, I only use 12 of them, but I have more than 30 of them. Cause mm -hmm. I, the, one of the installations I did for the Whitney museum was 30 speakers that were all stuck by their magnets to the interior stairwell of the museum oh, wow. that went from the basement to the fifth floor. So six stories. Uh-huh. You know, 30 speakers that were all up, going up there, 10 channels of audio. And so, like, I have a lot of those speakers that are just now in a box okay. in my garage. So I was going to try to do something, um, yeah, big with it. But I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that was something that I was thinking while I was watching it. I was kind of like, it's like, he had, you know, he had to go get those speakers, you know. And, and, and like, so anytime mm -hmm. an, an idea like this pops I was thinking this as I was watching it. Anytime an idea for an installation pops in his head, he's got to procure like all this extra equipment. But then I'm, I was mm -hmm. wondering also like how often does the next idea kind of like springboard off of the other one because you have the stuff or, you know, oh, you know, you work with it so long, you're like, oh, I could maybe do something like this. So like, do you find yourself kind of like springboarding off of the last thing and reusing stuff for the next installation or... Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, the fact that I had to get those speakers. So, yeah, like, the timeline of all this stuff happening was, like, I was approached by the Whitney Museum 
and like they wanted one installation of mine that already existed and then they commissioned that stairwell piece and so then I started you know I had the idea for that one and I started sourcing materials and then in the time between when I got the materials for the Whitney I had the installation at Veriform and so I used some of the same materials for both projects Uh and then I wound up um, last year after the Whitney Biennial closed, they shipped everything back to me. And then I had another installation out at the Southwester Lodge, like on the coast. Um, it's like right across the bridge from Astoria. Okay. It's like uh-huh. a vintage trailer um, oh, wow. kind of resort. But they have an art trailer there. And so I did another sound installation out there using some of the same components, like the same. On the Washington um, side? Yep. On the okay. Washington side. Okay, cool. So, um, check that out. yeah, it's a sweet place. Like that's like, if you want a, um, music excursion, they have a recording studio trailer. Oh, wow. There. That um, sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, Southwester, but yeah, so I, I had like an installation for a couple months there using the same like amplifier that I used there. It was a multi-zone amp and then, um, like quite a few of the same speakers. So nice yeah Yeah, i was like picturing i was like does he have a shed in his backyard that's just like full of like stuff for for installations (laughs) yeah i mean it's like a shelf in my garage yeah (laughs) and yeah it's like yeah i don't know my wife like is probably not happy that there's so much of that stuff around (laughs) well man we're over an hour already i don't want to take Mm -hmm. up too much of your time i really really appreciate this this has been awesome um and I can edit this out if not, but we talked a little bit. Are you, do you want to try like the, the patch challenge thing? Do you want to try to make some music off of a prompt? Yeah, I could try to do it. Okay. Yeah. And if you end up feeling like, nah, this isn't working then. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Um, and it doesn't have to be modular. You could, you could use seed pods if you wanted. Um, okay. I'm trying to find my phone cause it has my, my patch challenge generator on it. <laughs> ah, there it is. Um, so, yeah. Well, while I'm looking up uh, some words for you, is there anything that maybe we haven't covered or anything that you wanted to uh, scream from the modular mountaintops before we um, end here? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm really grateful to the community that I've got to meet through modular stuff. Like, I, um, it's been so cool through travels to be able to meet so many of the people in person. Like, I, um, Taylor and I played at the um tokyo festival of of modular a couple years ago oh wow and like i met um banna there like she came to our show in nara and like a bunch of the manufacturers there um last year when i was in europe i met um in iceland i met oz from expert sleepers he came to the show and then i met tom whitwell in person finally um in London and yeah, it was cool. And I, I would have met Ben earlier, uh, cause we played in the town that he lives in, uh-huh. um, but he didn't know that it was happening. Oh, so shit. we missed out, but that was a really cool show, but I don't know. It's just been, it's been fun to like, you know, kind of meet all these people all over the place and, and get to know them. Yeah. I so feel many, like it's a really nice community. It's yeah. So many, so many really, really 
gracious people. Like everybody you've met, I've I've talked to. I think everybody you, mm-hmm. you just talked talked about, I've had on the show, and I'm just you know like especially with Ben early on, I start the show. No one knows who I am. There's no reason mm-hmm. for Ben to reach out to me, but he does and says, "Hey, that's yeah. cool. You're doing it. You want me to be a guest?" And here I am, like mm-hmm. Div Kid asked me if I, if he could be on my show. Like I was gonna wait till I had a few episodes under my belt, but you know, like yeah. just everybody's just so. I don't know, just so gracious and, and, and this, this, this enthusiasm really permeates through it. And, and I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's cool to be part of a scene that runs on enthusiasm rather than something like ego or something like that. I think that's the key difference. That's what I've, that's kind of the, the conclusion that I've come to, um, on why this is so great. I know. I feel like it's, there's a certain aspect of, um, you know, this thing where people are still trying to like share information and pull each other up rather Definitely. than, um, it, I mean, and like, you know, I think that you've talked before about certain forums on the internet being less pleasant mm-hmm. and I wanted to tell people if they were searching for a forum that was great and supportive, um, the lines forum lines that okay. was started by, um, uh, Brian Crabtree from Monom, the Monom internet forum was like this beautiful, super supportive community. And so he wanted to open it up to things beyond Monom. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he started lines and that one is just so great. Like it's, you know, a lot of the people, you know, have carried it over. I know that Mark posts the disquiet projects there and, um, okay. they have a nice buy, sell trade forum too, which is good. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's just a wonderful place to, uh, you know, get questions answered and and share releases and, you know, people post about interesting topics beyond just the the typical um, gear based things. Yeah, so no, that's great. It's, it's I'll wonderful. put a I'll put a link to that in the um in the show description. Um, yeah. I also find that like the Discord stuff has been like a a, a more supportive version of like of that kind of stuff of like, you know, like the, 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 what do you call them? Forums or chat rooms or whatever. I've, mm-hmm. I found that that's been pretty cool, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to jumping into that as well. Um, yeah. So here's your word. Your word okay. combination is modest photon. I think that's kind Ooh. of fun. All right. So yeah, if you can, if you, if you feel, feel a hankering for that, that'll be, that'll be a fun one. And maybe I'll work, maybe I'll do it too. Um, okay. Well, yeah, Marcus, this was so great. I've been wanting to like have a one-on-one chat with you for a long time. I was hoping to do it in person. That's probably why I, 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 I waited so long to try to get a hold of people who are in Portland because I had this grand scheme in my head that I was going to get an, like an Airbnb and come stay in Portland for like a week and just do, mm-hmm. just meet everybody and do it. And then of course COVID yeah. happened. Um, yep. so yeah, thank you for your time. I really, really appreciate yeah, it. No problem. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Is there anything you want Thanks to... Thanks for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you want to direct people to other than the stuff we've talked about? No, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really um, doing much these days, and I don't have my social media anymore. So, um, yeah, it's... I don't know. Next year, there might be something old okay. that's coming back around that okay. people can look for. So Very cool. Yeah. All right, here is Modest Photon by Marcus Fisher.
That was absolutely lovely. The conversation and the patch challenge. Thank you so much, Marcus, for coming on. And thank you all for uh, for listening. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. Um, I'd really, really appreciate that. Uh, head over to our Discord as well. Um, it's There's a lot of fun stuff going on over on the Discord server. Um, what else? Don't forget to check out that Benjolin version 2 out at afterlateraudio.com and I believe they're sold out on their website right now they're they're getting uh, restocked soon but uh, Patrick's has some so check them out uh, or check them out go get some over at Patrick's I'm so I'm so like programmed to say check it out um, Dr. Steve Brule over here um, I released the new EP on uh, Self Center Records uh, just like some some slow ambient jams that are pretty fun uh, and keep an eye out for uh, my uh, my YouTube performances I'm going to keep releasing those and uh, if you haven't checked them out I'd really appreciate if you did um, I did the Tuna Fat podcast link in the show description for that that was a lot of fun thanks again Squid for having me on um, I think that's about it thank you for coming back to Podular Modcast I really appreciate it It's a new world now, a new dawn. There's much work to be done, but hopefully the tyranny is coming to an end.